Is it working? Am I on? Okay. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm still getting used to these microphones, so I, I'll sit here and it's like, did I unmute it or not? Uh, am I going to preach half of this sermon and not know if anybody heard what I was saying? Well, good morning. Uh, before we go any further, let's stop and, uh, and go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the distinct privilege it is to read from your word together, to grow together, to, to learn together, to, to come as, as we await your Spirit's work in us to transform us through the power of your word. And so, God, personally, I pray that you would help me to get out of the way, that your Spirit would speak through your word this morning, that it would impact your people and do that transformative work. Um, for each of these gathered here, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help clear away any distraction, those things which draw our attention away from you. Um, God, help us to give you all of our focus, all of our affection and love. And God, may you be glorified in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I do want to say uh, I was excited when, when Marlon asked if I would preach on, on this passage today. Um, but maybe you had the same thought I had, which is we're going to be back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And if you were reading ahead or looking ahead, if you kept that sheet that Marlon gave out that kind of details what we'll be looking at each and every week, maybe you thought, oh, Lawrence is preaching. And then maybe you saw, ooh, it's on suffering again. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, and I don't know if it's because I've got some special experience or if I can make you suffer like no one else. That's, 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 that's a joke. Uh, no, but it, it is true that suffering is such a, a reality in the Christian life, and yet it's one of those difficult things for us to face, to to rationalize, to deal with, to work through. And so for us to, to look at this as Paul has walked the church in Corinth through their own difficulties, as he's explaining from his own experience, it's good for us to focus on that as well. And, and maybe you also looked at the passage and said, good, there's only three verses, he'll finish early. Ha, <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't want you to go hungry. I added more in. It'll be fine. Uh, but before we go on, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And I'll be reading from the ESV. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, one of the beautiful things about focusing on a small passage like this is sometimes it's not so much about quantity, it's about quality. It's not about how much we read, it's about how deeply we allow ourselves to read and how deeply we allow the Spirit to work in us through that. So this morning, we're going to dig deep into this one. Uh, first and foremost, Paul says, so we do not lose heart. 
And Paul does what he often does. He points back to something he's already said. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And so Paul is saying the same thing again. He's reiterating, he's reinforcing his point. But he also wants to further develop a point that he's making. And so we're going to look at the immediate context and then the broader context. And so immediately, he says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, I don't want to steal any of Marlon's thunder, but he spoke last week. And, and one thing that Paul does, and we need to remember sometimes as we're reading through his letters, is he builds on arguments. He's going to say something in one place, and he's going to revisit that in the same letter, and he might revisit it again. He also is going to say the same thing in different letters, because different churches sometimes need to hear the same thing. Because as Christians, we need to hear that. And this is what we read last week, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And as Marlon pointed out, that phrase, treasure in jars of clay, it's a picture of humility. Uh, jars of clay is not, a, is not a fancy statement. It's an earthen jar. It is a common thing. In a lot of cases, it is a worthless and disposable thing. To put that in today's language, it is a plastic shampoo bottle. It's, it's something which only has value as long as the thing that's in it is still good. If shampoo goes bad, I would know. I don't use a lot of it anymore. <laughs> But there is treasure in jars of clay, that it is valuable because of what is inside it or what it holds. Very simply, it is something of great worth in a common vessel. And to Paul's point, our weakness is what demonstrates that this power belongs to God and not to us. And Paul will point to all of his ministry and say, in this church, when I went and planted, I didn't come and speak of, of words and wisdom, but I came and I demonstrated the power of God. In other places, he'd say, these things that you saw were not by us. It was by God. In fact, there's another place where he says, I'm grateful that I didn't baptize more of you because people were starting to look to him and not to God. And that was a problem. Because for Paul and for us as Christians, the focus should be on God, but often it, it's on us. And so Paul points to himself. He says our outer self is wasting away. Now we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about that. Anyone who started feeling old has already started to feel this sense that our outer self is wasting away. It's like when you have a car that starts to get 100,000 miles on it, you think, well, this is pretty good. And 150,000 miles, you think we should probably start uh, looking at something new. You get to 250,000 miles and you're fixing something on it again and again and again and again. It's just, that's part of how it goes. Now, I'm, I'm preaching this as a guy with a metal knee. And not because I got old, because uh, cancer had other ideas. But I don't run like I used to. I can't kneel like I used to. Uh, I don't lay down on the ground, but there's no reason for anyone to do that anyway. So, 
you know, there's, there's things that are okay, but our outer selves are wasting away. We all experience it. And the more experience we have in life, the more we understand that our outer selves are wasting away. Now, that is a common thing under ideal circumstances. But Paul and the other apostles aren't under ideal circumstances. They're suffering. And I know we talk about our struggles and our suffering, but Paul had a very unique experience, and the other apostles too. Here they were proclaiming the word of God of salvation because of the death and resurrection of Christ, and they were doing so in opposition to other religions that were prominent, that were predominant. You had uh, the Jews who said, well, this Christ, if he is who you say he is, then that changes everything about what we believe. However, we don't believe he is who you say he is, so uh, we're going to throw rocks at you, we're going to try to kill you, get out of our city. You had oppression on every side, struggles in every single circumstance. Paul famously talks about this, about the difficulties he faced, whether it was by persecution, shipwreck, suffering, hunger, lack of sleep, distress, whatever it might have been. We sometimes get the idea that those who are serving God, those who are living for God, those who trust in God will have it easy, and they don't. In fact, sometimes that suffering seems magnified. And Paul is saying our outer self is wasting away. But there's hope in it. He says our inner self is being renewed day by day. Something is happening in them which is beyond their own ability or willpower. Paul can't keep himself from difficulties. The other apostles can't prevent this suffering. Now they expect it because they follow Christ who proclaimed hope in the Father, salvation from their sins, and they put him to death. And they were warned, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to proclaim the same message, then expect the same outcome. But Paul is saying, even as this vessel is being broken down, even this thing which is designed for a use, and then when it's done, it's, it's broken down, it crumbles, it's no longer useful. Even though this vessel is being broken down, what it carries within is not diminished or depleted. It's like this idea of a storehouse that is constantly being replenished. When certain things start to run out, stock comes back in. It is added to. Its stores replenished. It does not run out. So when he says our inner self is being renewed day by day, he's saying even though our bodies are failing, even though this, this earthly thing seems to be struggling, we don't lose hope. Because we know that something greater is happening. Because the thing that is worth even more is being replenished in us. Now we see something similar uh, with Elijah. When God took precious little and renewed it day by day. This from 1 Kings chapter 17. Then the word came to him, that is Elijah... Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. 
But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make, me, uh, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, it's interesting. We might look at this and say, well, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the other one. Uh, there's jars, there's jugs, there's the relation there. Uh, but for Paul saying that the thing that we carry, this, this gospel hope that we have that's being renewed day by day, if God can provide for his people in a simple way like providing flour and oil during a time of famine, he can provide for his people in giving additional strength in a time of spiritual famine, in great difficulty. God provides. God helps us to endure. Now, if we look at the broader context in 2 Corinthians, in the passages before, uh, Paul says we have this ministry from God. We're not doing this alone. We proclaim that it is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's Paul saying it's not something we're doing for ourselves, but as we serve Christ knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Now, I don't need to explain that. We have this hope, and it is unshaken, because God is doing something. We are serving God, and as we put our faith in Christ, we depend on Christ. We hope in Christ. And in the passage to come, even if it means our death, we have set our hope on the life to come. Yes, Things are difficult. Yes, this suffering is real, but we do not lose heart because while these common vessels might be wasting away, our purpose is in carrying that which is of greater value than our own lives. And our hope in what is greater than this life is renewed day by day as the power of God is demonstrated in and through us, not anything that we can boast in or brag about, but a continual reminder that God is in this and God's power, in spite of our weakness, proves it. Now, as we move to verse 17, we're going to handle this a little bit differently. Now, I'm going to take a sip of coffee. If you didn't bring one, that's your own fault. <laughs> and it's not because I need to stay awake. It's because I get a little, my throat gets a little dry. As I get excited, then I start preaching, and then I forget that, if I don't drink something, I'm going to start coughing. Uh, it's fine. We're going to keep on going. In this verse, verse 17 is incredible. And we are going to dig far deeper than you ever wanted to. And so we're going to take it phrase by phrase. We might even take it word by word because there are things in here which translations are beautiful. And I, I want to give a quick disclaimer. I was told once, don't use too much of the original languages because you don't want people to get the impression that they can't read the Bible on their own. And that's true. Uh, the translators have done an incredible job. But I, I have the privilege of being able to spend time in, in Greek and Hebrew. I learn things so that you don't have to. Uh, I get to wrestle with some of those things so that I can get excited and I can share those with you as it adds to uh, what we can read. And so there's this beautiful part. Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We're going to start with that first phrase, this light momentary affliction. 
Now, we might break that down a little bit. Light is, is, is not talking about this visible thing which illuminates everything else. It's this other idea. It's not heavy. It's something that is insubstantial, unsig- uh, insignificant, uh, momentary. It's, it's like a breath. It's, it's here and then it's gone. And you have this idea of affliction. It is tribulation, troubles, and difficulty, which is a good place for us to park for just a minute. Paul is talking about how hard he and the apostles have it. And he's talking about afflictions, and he describes them as light, momentary afflictions. Now, there's a problem with that. This idea, affliction, trouble, tribulation, has a sense of pressure to it. There is something weighing on us. There is something pressing on us. We even get that word oppressive, that it is there, it is present, it isn't going away, and it can't be ignored. And yet Paul calls it a light, momentary affliction. Those words don't fit together. How can it be light if there's weight to it? How can it be momentary if it's oppressive? Like it feels like it's not going to end. How do these things work together? How can something be light and momentary and oppressively heavy? Well, it's a matter of perspective, as Paul is about to explain. Now, he talks about this light, momentary affliction, but he also talks about this eternal weight of glory. Now, eternal is pretty simple. It's without end. Uh, Do you want to be very specific? It's without beginning and without end, but we'll just say without end here for now. Weight. It's heavy. (laughs) It is what it is. It's substantial. It has heft. There's, There's weight to it. And then glory. Now that's one of those words we struggle with. It's a nebulous term. It could mean one thing. It could mean another thing. It could mean splendor. It could mean magnificence. It could mean honor. It is um, respect. It is honor. It is reverence. It is that when we speak of God's glory, there is something about the person and character of God which inspires awe in us. We might say awesome, but it's bigger than that because our word awesome has lost so much of its meaning. Then we we talk about God and, and His glory there's, there's something there that we can wrestle with. We also, as Marlon mentioned a number of weeks ago, there's a Hebrew word, kavod. You don't need to know that. You don't remember it. It's fine. It's a word that can mean both weight and honor. And for us, we might say, well, how can a word mean two different things that are so different? And to be fair, it's, it's actually part of our vernacular. It's something we might say all the time. When someone is, is not giving something proper honor, we might say, well, you made light of this. To make light of something, it's to minimalize. It's to, to be disrespectful about something. If I'm talking about a hardship that I'm going through, a difficulty I'm going through, and someone makes a joke about it, I'm going to get offended because they're not giving it the weight that they should. Now, we may not make heavy of something if you grew up during a certain uh, time period, you might have said, that's, that's heavy. Sorry, I, I wasn't alive then, so I, I'm doing the best I can. But moments, situations, circumstances can have weight or gravity to them. They are substantial and significant. Now, the last phrase is my favorite. It doesn't sound all that exciting, beyond all comparison. 
Well, that's, that's pretty run-of-the-mill. We all know what that means. You can't compare it to anything. But it's really, really good. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Um, the phrase in the Greek is hyperbolen ice hyperbolen. Great. What are you going to do with that? Well, hyperbolen is one of those words. It's where we get the word hyperbole. See? That's, that's a cognate. Uh, I'll stop. I <laughs> In Sunday school, I was talking about how I get excited about things other people don't care about, and sometimes I just need to remember, just move on. You, you have a word which is from the Greek. Now, the word hyperbole, we might know that one is it's an extreme exaggeration. In the original Greek, it had the sense of to throw beyond. Or if we were to use it in a way that makes a little bit more sense, you go too far. You're stretching this idea further than it should go. So beyond all comparison, is, is, it's a good translation, but we miss something. Paul uses it twice. Now, if we want to just read it this one way, we'd say it's hyperbole on top of hyperbole. It's excess beyond excess. It's extreme on top of extreme. It's so beyond comparison that it can't even compare. Uh, it's like apples to oranges, but if oranges were hand grenades. They don't, they don't match up. It's a comparison that doesn't work. It's, it's, you take this thing that's beyond comparison, and it's even further than that. And so Paul goes in, and he makes a comparison to show us what is beyond comparison. Our current struggles are not as overwhelming as they seem. This light, momentary affliction... They are momentary in view of what is eternal. They are light and insignificant in view of what truly bears weight. And the biggest contrast, the weight that presses down on us in view of the gravity and significance of God's love, that He raises us up and bestows us with honor. That by belonging to Christ, we are called sons and daughters of God. Now, Paul loves doing this. He loves using contrast. And what he's trying to point out is that it's a matter of perspective. If we focus only on our own struggles, then yes, they will feel enormous, too heavy for us, with no end in sight. But from another perspective, they are light and already fading away. And while I don't think Paul is calling our troubles and hardships insignificant, he surely wasn't calling his own insignificant when he said that we were so uh, distraught by it, that we were weary, that we, that we were frustrated with life itself. He wasn't making light of his own struggles. He's not calling our struggles insignificant, but they are insignificant in comparison to this thing that is beyond all comparison. Not making light of our momentary afflictions, but rather He gives them proper weight in perspective. What is our life in view of eternity? What is our personal struggle in view of what God has done for all of humanity? And what, sorry, does what oppresses us hold a candle to the glory of God that He bestows on those who love Him? And now the difficult part, this is all part of a process. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
But very simply, there is good in this difficulty, even if we can't see it. And that it causes us to see our trials differently. Now, do we remember what Paul said about his own difficulty? He said, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. It was necessary for the apostles, these men who had seen Christ, who had heard Him teach, who had seen Him perform miracles, or Paul, who was reached by a miracle in his own right. These men who had an incredible experience of who God was needed these experiences to be brought to the proper perspective of their reliance on God. That they needed to be brought to the point of death in order to rely on Him who is greater than death. And as we look at ourselves, if, if the apostles, if these who were bringing the gospel of Christ forward, if they needed to see these things, are we going to be kept from these difficulties? Do we not need to learn the same lessons? No, these, these present difficulties help us to gain proper perspective as well. As we trust in Christ to lead us despite our troubles, rather than allowing our troubles to lead us to despise Christ. Now I'm going to take another sip of coffee here. Because we're getting into some nonsense. No, no, I mean that. You, you can laugh. It's okay. What Paul says next does not make sense. He says, as we look to, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Has anyone ever been given the advice, ignore the things in front of you? It's the things you can't see that you should be focusing on? No, no. When my kids sit down to dinner, I say, don't think about those other things. Focus on what's in front of you. Don't think about anything else. You've got this thing that you need to be working on, whether it's eating dinner, making your bed, cleaning up toys. Don't think about the other stuff you can't see. You're in this room, deal with this problem. And then if you want to go into another room and deal with that, fine. But don't worry about it now because it's not there. In fact, in the Bible, we hear this, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough trouble, or today's troubles are sufficient for itself. Um, no one ever listens to that one anyway, right? We, let's be honest. We like to worry. We like to, to focus on our own problems, on our own difficulties, on our own struggles. But then again, Paul is talking about something that shouldn't make sense to us. How can we look to the things that we can't see? We've heard the opposite advice. Focus on what's in front of you. Don't worry about the other stuff. But that's the point. It's not only perfectly reasonable that we should fixate on whatever troubles us, it is human. It is completely natural for us. It's part of how we're wired when we're hungry. We're wired to look for food. When it rains, we're wired to look for shelter. Have you ever seen somebody, you might have somebody who said, I'm hungry. And I remember as a kid, my family would say, well, if you're hungry, go eat something. Stop complaining about it. Then again, I didn't have a healthy family life, so that's... That's a joke you can laugh at. Thank you for being so sensitive there. That means a lot. It is our nature 
to see a problem and try to solve it by our own means. But Paul is speaking to something that is beyond us. And he spells it out for us. We can endure suffering because our hope is greater than this life. We will make it through this hardship because we know that the reward is great. And we don't trust in what we can see because we know that true value is found in what we can't yet see. It is un an unnatural view of things, if we're being honest, one that is impossible for us on our own. In fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's the answer to the question, why don't all people just come to the realization that God is God and follow Him? It's because they can't see it. They're blind to it. They can't hear it because it's one of those things which are spiritually discerned and there isn't a single person who has come to a realization of who Christ is without the work of the Spirit in their lives to help them see. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that there are things in us which are natural to us. Our natural response to rules is to break those rules. Our, our natural response to to hearing that there's a God is to think, well, really, is there one? And we question it. Our natural response is not to say, who should I follow and how should I submit to them? It's, this is my life, my experience. I'm going to live for me. That's perfectly natural. It's, it's human. At best, what Paul is saying is confusing. At worst, it sounds like absolute insanity. We don't look to what we can see, but we look to the things that are unseen. If a person walked up to you and said, I don't focus on these things that I can see, these music stands and these stairs, I look to things that you can't see. You'd think, okay, don't, don't worry about this, this guy, he sees invisible things. It, it doesn't sound right to people because it doesn't make sense from a, an earthly perspective, from a human perspective. How can we look to what we can't see? How can we trust in what can't yet be seen? And as we see in the previous verses, this is impossible without God. If we go to just the First uh, Corinthians 2, but the verses before chapter four, uh, verse 14... Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. It's not the only time Paul is going to talk about this idea that we talk about things that we might not otherwise, that we are going to do these things by a power that is not of us, that is not dependent on us, that can't be attributed to us. There are things that we can't come to understand on our own, that we couldn't convey on our own, that we couldn't demonstrate on our own. And those things only happen if God is at work. And if he's not, then we're not doing the right thing. We can endure suffering because our hope is greater than this life. The world teaches us to focus on what we can see and ignore the rest. The Spirit teaches us to trust in what is beyond our grasp. Our nature makes us believe that the things of this world, whether it's riches or power or beauty or pleasure or comfort, are eternal. And we spend our souls to try and to grasp them. 
Suffering then, especially on purpose, is contrary to our nature. It doesn't make sense. If we were to see anyone who was suffering and it could be prevented, we'd say, why are you doing this? With our kids, if they're like, my hands are cold, we'd say, well, why did you go out in the snow without gloves? Um, just the other day, um, we had this sort of thing. Owen fell in the snow and he was complaining. It's like, well, if you would have worn gloves, you'd have been fine. If your kids are hungry, you tell them, go get food. If they're tired, you'd say, well, go to sleep. Why are you unnecessarily putting yourself through this? It doesn't make sense on a human level. It is contrary to our nature. And so what we see in Scripture is that the Spirit helps us to see that we've been deceived. That the things of this world are only shadows of what we were made to desire. They pass away. In fact, they're already passing away. And the only thing that is really worth giving our lives for does not rust. It does not corrode. It does not decay. It does not fade away. And we see that question again. What is this short life compared to eternity? What is better to live comfortably now pursuing whatever we desire and suffer in eternity to come or to endure a little while in the sure hope of eternal life that we can only know in submission to Christ. It seems clear, but then again I'm preaching to the choir, right? We follow Christ because we've been made aware of who He is. We've, we've seen a sense that there is something beyond us, that there is something beyond this life, that there is something beyond these things that we are naturally drawn to. And so as Christians, we have a unique perspective on troubles because we have a unique perspective on life, setting our eyes on the whole of eternity and not just our small experience of it, seeing the bigger picture of God's plan at work and not just the path that we might wish for ourselves. Our focus simply cannot be on lesser things or our faith will be in lesser things. And so Paul says we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They are temporary. They are fading away. But the things that are unseen is eternal. We don't lose heart because our strength rests in God's power. We don't lose perspective because we know that God's promise is greater than our present difficulty. And we don't lose sight of eternity because we know that nothing in this world, even a life without suffering, will satisfy. He was never meant to. And now that God has opened our eyes to a perspective that is greater than our own, we can't go back to pretending that it's all about us. Because these struggles are for a greater purpose. This hardship is for our own good and this affliction will give way to glory. Paul encourages the church in Rome. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Well, I'm not done yet. No, there's an old form of Japanese art, and that's not one of the things I tend to focus on. If it's not something that interests you, that's okay. Um, it's known as kintsugi, and I pronounce that terribly. Um, I'm not Japanese, and I don't pretend to be. Um, but it's an old form of art where broken pottery is repaired using lacquer and, and powdered gold. Instead of throwing something broken away or even trying to repair it to look like nothing ever happened, the breaks become part of the story, part of the history of an object, highlighted as a thing of beauty. Uh, so much so that, that people thought it was so beautiful, so interesting, <laughs> that it was suspected that they were intentionally breaking pottery just so they could put it back together in this way and sell it for a lot of money. But think about that. We tend to think of, of breaks, of fractures, of flaws as, as things which should be covered up or erased completely. Uh, if you can't, just throw the thing away because it's not worth it. But what if we were to begin to see our own struggles and difficulties, the parts we wished were fixed so that we wouldn't even know they happened or remember they happened in the same way? What if we could learn to see our troubles as the moments where God's glory shines through the cracks of our own brokenness, making us more pure and beautiful and holy than if we never saw how deeply we need Him? Again in Romans, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps a good person, for a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As Christians, we have a unique perspective on troubles, again, because we have a unique perspective on life. God is doing something, and it may not be something we can see. God is doing a work in us, even if we wish He wouldn't. God wants better for us, even when we're comfortable and don't want things to change. He loves us enough that He doesn't leave us where we were, but He takes us and He transforms us. And He makes us not only better than we were, but He makes us usable for His own purpose. We don't often consider how God might allow, even use 
hard things in our lives to save us, let alone lead us deeper into His own love. But as Paul shared with us, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It is through our experiences of our own weakness that we come to appreciate the immeasurable strength of God. It is as we suffer, as Christ suffered, that we come to appreciate the wonder of God's mercy. In our weakness and utter dependence on God, we learn to lean on Him for all that we have. Our hope in ourselves is broken. And we are reminded that hope is found in Christ alone. Would you pray with me? God, we thank You for today. Would You help us to come to a place where we can say with confidence, like Paul can say with confidence, that we do not lose heart. Even though our outer selves are wasting away, that our inner selves are being renewed day by day. God, would you help us to focus not just on the difficult things we're going through, but God, would you give us the wisdom and discernment to to look beyond ourselves to do what we can only do with your help, to try to see the bigger picture. What might you be doing in the lives of others? What might you be doing in my own life? And do we trust you enough to walk with you through these things we don't understand? Knowing that we may never see what you are doing, but trusting that you are doing something worthwhile in us. Help us to trust in you, to lean on you, to keep our focus on eternity and not the things that pass away. And God, would we proclaim you above all else as our only hope, the God of our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lucy stands.